2020 in a couple of days, New Year's resolutions abound. Some of you may already be thinking and deciding what you're going to work on for 2020. You might be thinking, oh, a vacation for me in 2020. Or in 2020, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Retirement for me in 2020. I'm paying down my credit cards in 2020. I'm going to eat better and give up soda and cigarettes in 2020. No cigarettes for me in 2020. Have you considered including your neighbors, adult children, and your church family in your news resolutions? Now, that might be different. Today, I want to bring with you my biblical perspective of what the Apostle Paul suggests his church family do and what Jesus Christ wants us to do, and that is to worry less and to love more. There are only two things that I'm definitely deathly afraid of, and it's not spiders, <laughs> but one of them is grasshoppers, and the other one is snakes. You know, grasshoppers, they just kind of come out of nowhere, and then they jump unexpectedly, and you don't know what direction they're going to jump on. And then once they, and they're big, some are little, some are big, at over where we live, sometimes we have huge grasshoppers. And then they jump on you and they put their little, like, hooky feet into you and they spit that tobacco stuff on you. Oh, I hate those things. And snakes, snakes are slithery and they, they're slimy and they can sneak up on you. One time I was out, um, we have a little property that we have to do sit-down mowers on. So I was out with the, oh, and I have to tell you that my husband, Don, used to really get upset with me when I would not be watching where I was mowing and I would hit a rock with the mower. And, oh. and he could hear that across five acres, and he would come running over, don't hit rocks with the mower. So I've been very careful about it. And I was mowing the lawn, and all of a sudden, there's this big bang, and snake parts went flying <laughs> everywhere. So anyway, Don doesn't mind snakes. And he can look at a snake, and he can watch it on the Discovery Channel, and it doesn't bother him. I can't even watch them on TV. They, like, creep me out. But he was telling me that there's this anaconda snake, and um, it can wrap itself like around an animal, like a baby deer. And when the baby struggles, the baby deer struggles, um, the snake squeezes harder. And then if the baby deer struggles a little bit more, the snake squeezes harder. And that's how the snake kills its prey, is to squeeze it to death. And soon the deer is lunch, and the animal, and then the animal eats the, or the snake eats the animal whole. And worry can be like an anaconda. Your doubts about your own abilities, your uncertainty about others' feelings for you, you fear criticism, your anxiety, you have anxieties about what's going to happen in the future, 
Am I going to have a house? Am I not? Are my children going to end up in trouble? Are they not? Um, and life can get overwhelming. So if you want to avoid that crushing, oppressing, oppressive power of a snake, and do you want to keep your anxieties from dominating your life? And you might be thinking, yeah, I'd like to do that, Claire, but you don't understand my life. I mean, I'm afraid. It's after Christmas and I might get laid off. Or you might be thinking, yeah, I've lost my job already. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And my world looks seriously bleak. And believe me, my brothers and sisters, I've been there myself. I've lived bleak sometimes. I've been scared. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to talk to and where to turn. And it was just about at my darkest hour that somebody reminded me that I needed to turn to the word of Jesus Christ. And there it was right there in the Bible in Matthew, again and again, all over in Matthew, verse after verse. And then it was in Luke and in Philippians and in Proverbs. And you see, God knew that we would have troubles and worries in our life. He knew that. He never said that we would have a perfect life. What he did do is he gave us plenty of hope. And he told us that we are valuable. And he told us what to do when we get worried and when we're anxious. And he told us that he loves us. Now, if you have a Bible, you could open it up to Matthew, chapter 6, starting with verse 25. Now, this is Jesus talking. And this is, again, Matthew, chapter 6, starting with verse 25. And Jesus is talking, and take note, he doesn't say, hey, it's probably a good idea not to worry. And he doesn't say, uh, let me give you some advice, don't worry. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what your drink will drink. And don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you'll wear. Is life not more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow and reap or store away in barns and let your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worry, can add a single hour to your life? So the point is that worrying doesn't help. Reading further in Matthew, down at verse 33, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things would be given to you. And therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. When we worry, it's so easy to forget to seek the kingdom of God and righteousness first because we're way too busy thinking about everything else but God. We forget to read our Bible every day. We forget to pray in the morning when we get up. We don't pray during the day. We don't pray in the evening when we go to bed. We forget to ask God to bless our meals. And we forget to teach our children about God. We forget to pray with them. And we forget to pray with our spouses. We forget Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, one of my favorite passages. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some folks in here are city folks. They don't know exactly what a yoke is, but ranchers and farmers know that in the olden days, a yoke was a big, heavy piece of wood or a log that would be roped or hung over oxen, and then the oxen would take a heavy cart or pull a plow, the oxen would take the burden. And here Jesus is saying, here, take my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find that my yoke is light. Wow, what a blessing. In times of worry, if you pray and learn from Jesus, you will come to realize that you've been provided many weapons by God to deal with worry. Think of them as clubs, like a big, heavy bat club, not a going out to the party club. <laughs> you can beat that worrisome snake on the head when it slithers up to you. And those two clubs are perspective and peace. The Apostle Paul wrote much about those things in the New Testament. He was a man who possessed perspective. He instructed his fellow believers, be anxious for nothing. And he didn't give advice frequently. He was in prison when he wrote that. In fact, he spent a lot of time in various dirtbag dungeons where he was beaten, he was clamped in chains, and separated from those people that he loved. But further beyond those trials, Paul had some type of thorn in his flesh. The Bible's not real clear about it, but it was a physical condition that pained him so much that he repeatedly asked God to cure him of it. Can you bring me that water that's over by my purse down there on the floor, honey? Water. It's funny how when you get up here, your mouth just turns to cotton. 
when Paul wasn't in jail, he was shipwrecked, as is described in 2 Corinthians. He was bitten by poisonous snakes. He was pelted with stones by people who didn't appreciate his outspoken faith. And further in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, I have frequently been flogged And I lost my spot. <laughs> More severely and have been exposed to death time and time again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That's like two, almost 200 flogging whips. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and three times I was shipwrecked. Yet Paul instructed the believers, don't be anxious for anything. So let's read about that in Philippians 4, 4. Paul instructs, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Well, what gentleness, you may ask as you say, I'm worried, anxious, and anything but gentle. The gentleness that we read about that Jesus gives us is different. And Paul continues, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your needs and your requests to God. And the peace of, of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And essentially, I think what that means is, if you really go to God, that anxiousness will not be there. So when a guy like Paul tells us not to worry, we really should listen. And we should emulate the kind of perspective that he had. Paul knew what was truly important. He knew that God loved him, and he had a plan for his life. And God loves you too. And he has a plan for your life. And sometimes when you're worried and things look pretty bleak, remember that God has a plan. And that plan does not include being worried. So maintain the right perspective, the perspective of God. Will the world stop turning if you don't get a raise or a promotion? Probably not. Will it stop turning if you don't get your deer during hunting season? No. Will babies no longer giggle and birds no longer sing? If you can't get your car fixed, or if you don't lose that 10 pounds, no. More seriously though, what if you do lose your job and you can't pay your rent? And what if you can't buy food? Well, Don and I have been there. And there was a time when we walked every morning uh, and we collected pop cans. And if we got a dollar, we were really pretty thrilled. 
But by the end of the week, we had $7, and by the end of the month, we had $30. And that really helped. So it helped us to be encouraged. We could buy a small roast to cook, and then with the leftover meat, we'd make a stew, and we'd have stew all week. And to this day, I can't stand stew. <laughs> but we didn't drink soda, and we didn't have cable television, and that's just the way it was. And I don't know that we always seem to think that you know, things were bad. I mean, it was just, it was life. We didn't ever worry about where the money would come from. It just was always there. In pennies, dimes, quarters. So getting back to being consumed with worry, what is a traffic ticket or a flat tire? A late assignment to school or a cold sore compared to being purely and eternally loved by Almighty God and being made clean from all your sins. Paul learned a true key about peace. He learned that God doesn't always untie all the knots that tie us up in our daily lives. God doesn't untie all the things that make us worry. The Heavenly Father does give his children the grace to live with the knots. And that divine grace brings us peace. So remember that there's nothing that you can face that's too difficult for God. He doesn't get afraid. He doesn't get troubled. Problems don't keep him up at night. And he's on the job all the time. He loves us and he wants us to love him and to talk to him. So transform your worry time into an opportunity to seek God's perspective and God's peace the way that Paul did. When Paul was in jail, for example, instead of worrying about the way that he was being treated or when he would be released, he wrote letters of encouragement to other people and letters of instruction to his church. He also sang hymns of praise to God, and on one occasion, he led his jailer to Christ. And you can follow Paul's lead. Instead of worrying or complaining, have an action plan. Not sitting on a couch and worrying plan. Don't forget to tell God how you feel. You can tell God, I'm worried, or I don't know what I'm going to do. And then thank him for all that he has done for you. That he's giving you and that you can seek wisdom of him. God loves you. He cares about your life and he's completely capable of carrying your worries. And then give them to him. And fill your time with love for him and others. 
What a peaceful truth that is. The next time that you feel worry squeezing the life out of you like that baby deer, remember the words of Paul, the physically impaired, often jailed, brilliant writer and truth lover and lover of his friends and of God when he said, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, back to your New Year's resolution. Consider making this the year that you will be more, more like Paul and more like Jesus. In Matthew 22:37, Jesus is clear in his expectations of us. He says that we should be focused on two things. And he tells a group of his enemies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus continues, and if you know this, you can say it with me. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets stand on these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. So make an action plan. Pray, give thanks to God, present your worries and your requests to God, and find peace. Focus on others. Help those who are less fortunate. Pray for your neighbors and help them wherever and whenever you can. Write your resolution on love on a three by five card. Tape it to your bathroom mirror or you'll forget. It might say, pray more, worry less. Love more, yell less. Read my Bible more, watch television less. Enjoy my circumstances more, complain less. Thank God for everything, for he is the true provider. My brothers and sisters in Christ, it's really been an honor and a privilege to talk to you today. It was a risk for the church to let me stand up here, and I hope that it was okay with you. May the peace of the Lord and God's love be with you today and always, and have a happy new year. That was awesome. Thank you so much. You know, it's funny because um, I had no idea what Claire was going to talk to us about, and I put together some notes before I came to church. And normally I don't title a message, but I put a title on this, and let me tell you exactly what the title was. I remember I had no idea what Claire was going to talk about. Love and obedience, the ultimate New Year's resolution. 
love and obedience. Let me read to you, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll cut this short. We'll we'll um, we'll pick it up next week. But let me read some some scriptures to you that I really want you to think about. It's so important, you know. In we think of the Ten Commandments as part of the law, and it was right. And we know that we are not under the Mosaic law anymore. We've made that quite clear. The Bible makes that quite clear. But yet, are the Ten Commandments null and void? No. No, of course they aren't. You know, we still uh, use them because they exhibit God's uh, feelings about certain things. And, of course, one of the commandments was to love the Lord your God. Listen to what it says in... 1 John chapter 5, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So there's one and only Christ, right? Is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. It says this, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Now, when you study out of the Greek, the imperative mood in the Greek is the mood of command. You know, many people think that certain things that God tells us to do in the Bible are suggestions. They're not suggestions, they are commands. They're in the New Testament, they're in the imperative mood, and God says, do this, or don't do this, okay? And that's designed to help us in our walk with Him. So listen to what it says here. So it says, This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God. To obey His commands and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So I guess my question to me is, and my question to you is, and this goes right along with the worry, is are you overcome or are you overcomers? Because it's easy to be overcome in this crazy world, isn't it? I mean, just, you know, when I was down in Mexico well, let me back up. So, one of my favorite shows on television was is House Hunters or a Caribbean Life. And, yeah, I know. And so they, they make up a show of people who are looking for uh, a home in some Caribbean country. And, oh my goodness, and what's your budget? Well, my budget is uh, 250000 Oh, 250000 And they show them these beautiful homes, and it's got the view, and uh, do you want beachside, do you want mountain, whatever. Of course, there's a lot of homes that cost more than that. And they never show you the rest of the neighborhood. They never show you what's behind the resorts. And you go to somewhere like Mexico, right? And there's these beautiful resorts. The water is gorgeous in certain places. Uh, generally speaking, the people are friendly. But if you get out of that tourist um, locale, 
and go behind the scenes, this is th those are third world countries, okay? And that's the way it is. That's the way they live. That's the way their culture is. We are so fortunate to live in the United States of America. I can drink the water here. I can eat the food here. I can talk to you in English and not try to figure out what you're saying. Well, some of you, I do have to do that a little bit. Okay. Just some of you, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me read another couple scriptures to you real quick, okay? In 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to make a point on all this, he says, John says this to us, We know that we have come to know him, that would be God, if we obey his commands. The man who says, this is very uh, convicting, the man who says, I know him, yeah, I know the Lord. Yeah, I'm born again. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. We need to be complete in God's love. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk in him. You know, one thing that I really realized when I was down there and I was reading about the... I have to, I have to, I have to back up. I've got to tell you, in uh, a, a few Wednesdays ago, Lee was in class and I told him, I said, well, I told the folks, I said, well, we're going to study the Old Testament and, um, you know, find out what it says to us. Because the Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed. He's there. Whereas the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. And if we have a pretty good handle on what the New Testament says, and so Lee says, well, we're not going to study every single little line, are we? Well, when I was studying down there, and you think about a book like Leviticus, Okay, I mean, Leviticus is probably in the crisp pages of your Bible. Okay, there's probably not a lot of notes in there. And yet, do you want to know that even the smallest details in a book that we look at and think is boring, if you know what you're looking for, you will see life. You will see Jesus Christ in there. God is so smart that he is able to perfectly conceal and reveal to us. And I will tell you this, that when we study the sacrifices, the feasts, the offerings, the furniture, etc. of the Old Testament, when we, when we study the tabernacle, when we study God taking the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, you will gain a great appreciation of how much God loves you. I'm telling you, it's unfathomable. We as human beings will not know how, God, how deeply God loves us until we see Jesus Christ face to face. It's just, I don't think our brains can handle it. I'm just telling you, God loves you. He loves me, believe it or not. Yeah. So here's what it says. It says, Dear friends, I am writing you a new com 
I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard from the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Oh my gosh, I thought the Bible didn't concentrate, didn't uh, contradict itself. I'm writing you, I'm not writing you a new command, I'm writing an old command, but I'm writing the old command because it's a new command. In other words, the command that was way back then is the same command as today. All right, that's really what he's saying here. And here's what he says. He says, the old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, that's Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Here's another convicting verse. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I'm going to cut it short right there and leave previews of coming attractions for you, okay? But I would like, as a church body, okay, I would like our New Year's resolution, if you want to make one, to love God more. To love Him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And I'm going to break that down in the Greek for you next week to tell you what that's all about. And to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you do this, all of the laws... All of the laws are fulfilled in those two commandments. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say you had to like your neighbor. He just said you had to love him. Okay, I want you to know that. This, this needs to be cleared up. So I would just encourage you to, to think about that. Okay, to think about what, what can I do in my thinking, in my speaking, and in my actions to fulfill that commandment to me, you know. Jesus said, if you just love those that love you, well, what good's that? Even the Pharisees do that. So I, I just want to encourage all of you that we would, as a church body, and we would, as individuals, really work on becoming lovers of God and lovers of our neighbor. As a parent, and God is a parent, okay, there is nothing, and I'm telling you this right now, there's nothing that God wants more for His people to be in unity. He doesn't want His kids fighting with each other or not, not uh, loving each other because as we do that, we, we love God. So, that's what I got to say? Boy, you guys are quiet, wow. Okay, um, pray with me, would you? Did we take an, oh, we, yeah. Uh, we have a benevolent offering that we're going to take right now, okay? So if the guys would come forth, thank you for reminding me of that. The benevolent fund, okay? I think when you look up the word benevolent, I think it means um, gracious, uh, loving, it means um, generous, generous. 
etc., that kind of a thing. This is for folks that simply need some help. And in our congregation today, we have folks that need help. We've got some folks that um, have some medical issues that um, need to have help. And we've got some uh, folks that have some practical issues that they just need help with. And that is directly what this money goes for, okay? So, Father in heaven, we pray that you'll bless this offering and that you'll increase it to anyone who needs to, uh, to, needs to have it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So pray with me, would you? Dear Father in heaven, please forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Help me to learn to love. To love you and to love my neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you'll stand, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, break this love down next next um, week. So we'll we'll go from there. If the Lord doesn't come back on Saturday, Jesus loves me. This I know. Oh.